20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on X at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Pack a Day Podcast. You guys are the absolute freaking best for being here 365 days a year. Always appreciate you. Extra shout out to Matthew Rabinus and Rolf Lindbergh for becoming all new Pack a Day Podcast YouTube members. And an extra special shout out to new Hall of Fame member, Flixen Gasfeld Elabar Bremen, which is a fantastic name. Thank you for joining and becoming a Packaday Podcast Hall of Fame member. If you yourself have not checked out the Packaday Podcast YouTube memberships yet, just do it because then, listen, if everyone signs up, then I don't have to talk about it and then everyone wins. So just go check it out. There's a ton of great options available. Either way, appreciate you guys so freaking much. Let's jump into the crux of today's episode. Before we get to the main event, some news and notes from Monday, Green Bay has a couple new coaches on their staff. At least that is what the reports are saying. First of all, you've got Sean Duggan on the defensive side of the ball, who will be a new defensive assistant. You have to think that he's probably going to work with the linebackers in some capacity based on his experience. And let's go over that experience. He started his coaching career as a grad assistant at Boston College. He was then a linebackers coach for Hawaii, a linebackers coach for UMass, a grad assistant at Ohio State, then a linebackers coach for Boston College before finally becoming this past year, not only the linebackers coach at Boston College, but also the co-defensive coordinator. And this is just another coach on this staff that has some defensive coordinator experience that, of course, has worked uh, with Jeff Halfley at Boston College. Another great coach with a great amount of experience. And you have to be excited about just all of the knowledge and skill sets that these coaches are bringing to the table how much new defensive assistant Sean Duggan is going to have an impact on this 2024 Packers team. That's going to be tough to say, but it seems like another really quality hire for Jeff Halfley and company. And again, somebody who has legitimate defensive coaching or coordinator experience, even if it was one year, even if he was the co-defensive coordinator, even if it was at Boston college, it just adds more and more experience to that room. And again, if you got the, you know, really one of the, the key guys from that staff with Jeff Halfley, it's not like they uh, you know, gave him some huge title. He's a defensive assistant. That's a big win for Green Bay that you get somebody from that status at the coaching level to come and just be a defensive assistant. Um, I think that's a major win for Green Bay and a great hire for Jeff Halfley. Meanwhile, on the offensive side, Green Bay has a new assistant offensive line coach, at least according to 24-7 Sports, and that is Eddie Gordon. He started his coaching career as a grad assistant on the offensive line for Louisiana. Then... In one of the greatest titles ever is a director of player development and assistant strength and conditioning coach at Louisiana. So that's a great stint there. He then goes on to become a offensive line grad assistant at Georgia, then a offensive quality control coach for Georgia before finally becoming the offensive line coach at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. So he does have that offensive line experience. It's obviously been littered throughout his coaching tenures. And then now he becomes the assistant offensive line coach to Luke Butkus and just another, you know, skilled coach that is going to add to the staff. And really, you've got three main offensive line coaches. You've got Adam Stenovich, who is not the offensive line coach uh, and is going to be the offensive coordinator, obviously. But anytime you need him to sort of step in and help out and just gain, you know, you know, give some of the experience that he has to that room, you can do that. Luke Butkus has obviously been in charge there for a while, or at least since Steno got the offensive 
you know, coordinator position and Buckus was there even before that as the assistant offensive line coach. And now you've got Eddie Gordon as the new assistant offensive line coach. Really love the way that Matt LaFleur has built out the staff on both sides of the ball. Jeff Halfley bringing in some familiar faces. This looks to me on paper as one of the strongest coaching staffs that Green Bay has had in some time. And I just think they continue to add very qualified candidates to this you know, team. And I think that is going to pay dividends in the long term for how this team performs in 2024 and beyond. That was not the only piece of news from Monday. Green Bay kicked off their restructuring spree by restructuring Rashawn Gary. His contract was restructured to save $4.781 million in 2024. The max that they could have saved with Rashawn Gary restructuring his contract was $5.1 million by adding an additional void year. They did not go that route. There's one of two things that could have happened. They could have gone that route on their own accord and said, hey, we don't want to start doing more void years. We're just going to do a max restructure. Or it's possible that Rashawn Gary and his agent said, no, we don't want to do the void years because... Green Bay has the ability to do a simple restructure, which is what they did, and save the $4.781 million without Rashawn Gary or his agent's permission. They can just do that. Um, if they wanted the void years, that has to be restructured with the blessing of Rashawn Gary and his agent. And for whatever reason, uh, Green Bay did not go that route. Again, I don't know that that had anything to do with Rashawn Gary or his agent. I don't know that that had anything to do with the Packers. It's just one of those things. It doesn't really matter. It only is a little over 300,000 more that they could have saved by doing it that route. Anytime you can go and do it without having to use void years, that is a benefit. That is a plus. So that's that's generally a good thing. But just interesting that Green Bay did not decide to go that route. This was, to me, the low-hanging fruit. If you guys remember when I did the salary cap exercise, we went through the releases, we went through a lot of different things, but there were a a bunch of potential restructure candidates, and I labeled two as the ones that made the most sense to me. One was Rashawn Gary, and two was Elton Jenkins. You want to look at those restructures of guys that are still young, that are probably going to be on the team for a while. You don't want to end in a situation where you do have to add a bunch of void years, or you're going to end up paying a player who's not on your roster a bunch of money. And you can potentially do, you know, have your cake and eat it too and have it both ways by just doing the simple restructure. Rashawn's probably going to live out this contract. He's only 26 years old. They just signed him to a brand new extension. So, you know, kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit with Rashawn is not the worst thing in the world. They were going to have to do some restructures no matter what. And like I said, Rashawn was the lowest hanging fruit of all of that. Made the most sense. We'll see if they follow it up with Elton Jenkins, which I had as number two on my list. Kenny Clark, Aaron Jones, the other two that maybe make sense to do a little bit of restructuring with as well. We could see some different releases. We could see some different extensions. There's a variety of things that Green Bay could do, but this one really made the most sense and it is clear and obvious why they wanted to go in that direction first. This gets Green Bay a little bit more money. It doesn't free up a ton of space. This is all them just sort of crossing the T's and dotting the I's for things that they were going to have to do no matter what, but they kicked it off with that restructure of Rashawn Gary. All right, let's then move into our main topic for today. And that main topic for today is going to be the lessons that Green Bay had to learn from 2023 and that hopefully they can learn them, you know, learn actually learn those lessons, learn from maybe some mistakes or just not always necessarily mistakes, just sometimes things that went well and how they can learn those lessons and how they can apply them to 2024. 
And number one on my list, and this is not to beat a dead horse. If you listened to my episode with Alex and Perry yesterday, I talked a little bit about how I thought running back was a priority for this team, that this team was totally different with Aaron Jones at running back, that AJ Dillon to me did not fill that void when Jones was in. Let me just say a couple people, one person reached out and said, I don't know what I'm talking about because AJ Dillon is clearly a fullback and not a running back. Um, Okay. Uh, He was not a fullback at all last year. They did use some two running back sets with Jones and Dillon. Those were legitimately two running back sets, not a running back and a fullback. They did use AJ Dillon as a lead blocker on some of those sweet plays on, I don't know, maybe two, three plays on the entirety of the season. In no way was AJ Dillon a fullback at any point in his career. There are also those of you who sometimes will say AJ Dillon should be a fullback. No, he should not be a fullback because he's not a great blocker. That's not his forte. And he's legitimately a running back. And I want to be very clear here. I am not saying that there can't be a role for AJ Dillon on the Packers. I'm not saying that he's not a good NFL running back. I think that there are skill sets that AJ Dillon brings to the table. And I think he is a good NFL player. However, I think that in that specific role, having to be the guy that fills in for Aaron Jones, if Aaron Jones has an injury, that piece of it, you know, Dylan just did not do well with. And I think you need to start looking in another direction. These were numbers per Warren Sharp on AJ Dillon this past season. And these numbers are extremely telling. Per Warren Sharp, AJ Dillon had 18 touches inside the 10 yard line this past season. On those 18 touches inside the 10 yard line, he scored only two touchdowns. That 11.1% touchdown rate was the worst mark for any running back with over 15 touches inside the 10 yard line in the past four seasons. Additionally, on his 178 rushes this year, he also averaged career lows in yards per carry with only 3.4 yards per carry, a success rate of only 32%, a first down per rush rate of only 18%, a stuff rate of 17%, an explosive run rate of only 30% and a yards after contact per rush of only 2.7 yards. Those were all career lows for AJ Dillon this past season. Out of 41 running backs, 41 NFL running backs with 125 or more rushing attempts last year, he ranked 38th in yards per carry, 35th in success rate, and 31st in EPA per rush. The numbers were not good for AJ Dillon last year. Now, those were the numbers from Warren Sharp. What I will add to this is, to me, your weapons on offense in some way need to be playmakers. And to me, A.J. Dillon was just not a good enough playmaker in any capacity for this offense. A.J. Dillon had one rush over 20 yards on the entire season on 178 rushing attempts. One rush over 100 on 178 attempts that was went for 20 yards or more. That is unbelievable. Like you have to be able to generate explosive plays at a higher rate than that than more than just one. To be clear, Jordan Love had four rushes over 20 yards this past season. Now clearly different roles, he's scrambling, Dylan is trying to run through a line, etc., but you get my point. Jordan Love four rushes over 20 yards, AJ Dillon only one. And like I said, when you put playmakers out on the field at your, your weapon position, running back, wide receiver, tight end, they need to be able to make plays. This is where Green Bay got into really an issue when it got to the end of the Aaron Rodgers era, where you had too many of the AJ Dillons and Alan Lazards and Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb at the end of his career, 
and you just didn't have like Robert Tunyon, Mercedes Lewis. You you had a lot of guys. You didn't have a lot of guys that could do anything, you know, spectacular with the ball in their hands. It was almost the anti San Francisco 49ers where it's like Kittle is a run after the catch guy. McCaffrey's a run after the catch guy. Ayuk is a run after the catch guy. Debo Samuel's a run after the catch guy where everyone with the ball in their hands is dynamic. And Green Bay at the end of the Rodgers era was like, all right, nobody with the ball in their hands is very dynamic. And now in Green Bay, of course, you've got Musgrave, you've got Tucker Craft, you've got Watson, you've got Reed, you've got Dobbs, you've got, you know, Dontavian Wicks, you've got all of these guys, Aaron Jones still. But you need guys out there that can make plays. And A.J. Dillon, for the vast part of 2023, was not that guy. And I'll say it one more time. I am not saying that A.J. Dillon can't be a Packer. We all love Dillon. We love the fact that he has adopted Wisconsin and Door County, mayor of Door County. He's been the consummate professional. You love that guy in your locker room. He, like He's a good NFL player. I'm not saying he's not, but he can't be that next guy up, and he can't be always just the change of pace to Aaron Jones. I think he really projects more as kind of like a number three running back, I love how he plays in pass protection. Yes, he does catch the ball better than he gets credit for sometimes, but he can't be a big-time playmaker. That's not who he is. And he also, again, showed that he wasn't necessarily a great short yardage back or red zone back. There are just things that he needs to work on in his game, and I don't know that that's ever going to necessarily happen. If you want to go Aaron Jones and then another playmaker that you get through the draft or free agency, whatever it might be, and then you want to keep Dylan as your three, that's great. That's fine. And like I said, Dylan can still have a role within your offense. But when Jones is out, you have to have another playmaker. Green Bay didn't, and they suffered because of it in 2022 or 2023, excuse me. And that's a lesson that they're going to have to learn. Number two, the next lesson that they need to really take away, not necessarily anything they did wrong, but something that they can learn from is competition works. If you go back and look at that offensive line rotation that they utilized and they kind of figured it out midway through the season, Yash Nyman, Rashid Walker rotating at left tackle, Sean Ryan and John Runyon Jr. rotating at right guard. I would make a very, very, very strong argument that literally everyone, everyone in that process got better because of it. I believe that Rashid Walker with the help of competition and somebody pushing him for snaps got a lot better and played way better after the point where they started the competition. Now, Yash is probably the one where we can make an argument of maybe he didn't play better. He kind of was status quo, but I actually like some of the stuff that Yash did in a little bit more of a limited role. And I thought that it worked out for him as well. Now, Rashid eventually won the job rightfully so, but I don't think that Yash suffered from it. I think John Runyon Jr. very much needed that push from Sean Ryan. And in fact, five of the last six weeks of the season, he played really good football. And I think that push from Sean Ryan, or maybe just the less wear and tear in the last snaps really helped him. And Sean Ryan, I think him getting some snaps and going out and being able to perform and learn from some of his mistakes was super helpful to him as well. Meanwhile, I think it also either inadvertently or not pushed guys like Elton Jenkins and Josh Myers and even Zach Tom to know that like, hey, if we don't perform at a high level, we could end up getting snaps lost out on. I thought that competition was great for the offensive line. It's something that I quite frankly hope they do again. And it's not limited to the offensive line. Look at wide freaking receiver, right? Wide receiver, this was a constant pushing of everyone to be better because if they weren't, 
they were going to lose snaps to the plethora of weapons that they had at wide receiver. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, Malik Heath, Bo Melton. By the time you got to the end of the season, there are enough guys in line dying for snaps out on the field and will give you everything as a blocker, as a pass catcher, whatever you need. They're ready to go out and do it. So if you go out there and you don't perform your best, guess what? That's going to mean that somebody else in the line is going to get those snaps from you. I think that competition overall, especially on the offensive line, especially at wide receiver, really, really helped out. And I think it's going to be something that they can go back to if they need to in 2024. Number three, special teams still weren't good enough in 2023. They ranked 29th in Rick Gosselin's rankings on special teams, who is like the ultimate special teams guru. We talked about the the Anders Carlson situation and other people were trying to make a bench of like, hey, can you talk about Matt Orsic too? Yeah, Matt Orsic was not good. He just wasn't. I talked about it the other day. He needs to be better at snapping the ball and getting a more consistent ball to Daniel Whalen so that Daniel Whalen can put it down and get it there for Anders Carlson. But even aside from the long snapping, Anders was not good enough. And I, there are people, there are like, a, there are some Anders Carlson like defenders out there. I'll be clear here. I'm not saying that Anders Carlson shouldn't be on this team. I am saying that I want strong competition for him this year because kicking matters. But for those that just want to point to field goals and say, hey, you know, like from a field goal standpoint, like look at some of the Mason Crosby early years or like Ryan Longwell, that's all fine and well. You have to take into consideration his entire body of work. And the total missed extra points and field goals combined was by far and away the worst in the league. And for those that want to make the comparison back to Longwell and Crosby and say, well, those guys had easy extra points. Yeah, they did. But that doesn't mean that Anders didn't miss the, the extra points and field goals that he missed. You're judged against the other kickers that were out there in 2023. And Anders Carlson was at the bottom of the list for missed kicks, period. End of story. Yes, the long snapper needs to be better. Anders also needs to be better. Kick coverage needs to be better. Punt coverage needs to be better. You can't have big kick or like fumbled punt returns from Keyshawn Nixon. These things matter. And the special teams to me was still a far cry from good enough and something that when you got into the playoffs and when you needed to win games, the Packers had to overcome their special teams. They weren't winning because of special teams. They weren't even breaking even with special teams, which is all we've been dying for for years. Can you just be the 16th best special teams? You don't have to win games. You just can't lose games. Can you just be mid? Can you please just be mid? But the Packers special teams refuses to be mid. They constantly want to be bad. They were bad again in 2023. They have to be better in 2024 if this team wants to be a legitimate, legitimate contender and be playing in the Super Bowl in New Orleans at the end of this season. Number four, this is a great lesson as we go into this offseason. I'm not saying this is always going to work out. I'm not saying this is always going to be perfect. But the lesson here is that you don't always need a veteran to fix the problem. And we went into last season saying like, man, you've got Watson, you've got Dobbs, but you better add some veteran wide receivers to that group for Jordan Love. And you lost Robert Tunyon and Mercedes Lewis at tight end. You better add some veterans to that group at tight end. That wasn't the case. They didn't add any veterans to either of those spots. And you know what? The guys that they added, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, you know, Malik Heath, Tucker Craft, Luke Musgrave, Ben Sims. 
That was a great group of players that they added to that roster. And it made you not think about, oh man, they could use a veteran. No, they got playmakers all over the freaking place. And I would even go with punter as well. You would have loved to have seen maybe a veteran punter. Guess what? Daniel Whalen, former XFL player. They bring him in. No previous NFL punting experience. He was really, really good at punter. It's it's not that you always have to fill a spot with a veteran. Doesn't mean you always have to go out and spend big free agent money. In fact, a lot of times those big free agent spends don't always end up working out your way. Now, I'm not saying that safety that they can just go do that. I'm not saying that he can do the same thing that he did with tight end and go draft a guy in the second round, go draft a guy in the third round and just be like, we're good. Everything's going to be perfect. I think they need to approach safety in a variety of different ways as they do with some of the other positions on this team as well. But just remember, this may be a lesson more for fans than it is for anyone else. It doesn't always have to be a veteran. There's a variety of different ways where you can acquire talented football players. And if you can get them through the draft, that's even better. But doesn't always have to be a seven, eight year veteran. Just remember that as we go into the offseason, as we look at safety, you know, backup running back, offensive line depth, corner, linebacker. There's ways to build this roster that don't necessarily always involve going out and spending big money for a player. It worked last year. Hopefully, Brian Gudikins can work his magic again in 2024. Number five, I'm not going to spend any time on this, but unfortunately, we learned that you still can't trust David Bakhtiari's knee. And we've talked about Bakhtiari enough. We know the situation. It sucks. It's terrible. But I think Green Bay does need to learn this lesson in some capacity this season of like, hey, you know you have to get off this contract. You know you've got to figure out something, either a massive restructure, meaning Bakhtiari takes a significant pay cut and less, far, far, far less guaranteed money, or you just have to go in a different direction and say, we all know it sucks. It's the worst. You wish he was healthy. He's so good when he's out there but you just can't trust the knee. Yeah, I'm, I know Bakhtiari is doing everything in his power to get back and playing at the highest level possible. I have zero doubt about that. I would love nothing more than for him to be out there playing football in the green and gold, but his knee has just been too problematic and you have to learn that lesson that you can't trust it. You can't put more money into this. You just have to make that decision and unfortunately probably go in a different direction. Number six, we learned that Joe Barry's style of defense does not work. And it didn't work in Green Bay. It didn't work with this particular roster. And it didn't work really throughout the league. That style of defense struggled mightily in 2023. And it felt like teams have sort of figured it out. And we don't have to worry about this. We don't need to talk about it ad nauseum because Green Bay learned their lesson. Now, it's not to say that Jeff Halfley's defense is going to be perfect and everything, you know, wash your hands of everything, problem solved. A ton of work is still to be done if they want this to be a top 10 defense. But the the point here is that it was very clear and obvious it was time to go in a different direction. Clearly, Matt LaFleur felt that way as well because he wasted almost no time letting go of Joe Barry and starting that defensive coordinator search. It was the right move. They learned their lesson. They went in almost the exact opposite direction of what Joe Barry's defense was. And now we just have to wait and see to see what 2024 ultimately brings with this new style of defense. Number seven, another lesson, maybe a little bit more for the fans, but we very much learned it from the Packers this past year. It is a 17 game season. I'm preaching to myself on this one too. Two and five, two and five, and things were looking pretty freaking dire. Lost four games in a row, won a game against the Bears, worst team in football. Didn't really, at the time, didn't really feel like it mattered all that much. You got a comeback win against the Saints that, 
for three quarters in that game, you looked pretty freaking terrible. And you're at two and five. You've got a daunting schedule coming up. And a lot of people, and sometimes myself included, wanted to jump to some conclusions of what Green Bay needed to do and what the offseason was going to bring and how great it was going to be that Green Bay was going to get a top five pick and so on and so forth. Jordan Love was a bust. Thankfully, I never remotely came close to saying anything like that, but there's a lot of hot takes out there at the time. And we just have to remember, as much as we love to do this 365 days a year, and we love to jump to these conclusions quickly, you kind of have to let the season speak for itself. And at two and five, while things look terrible, and it was fair to judge the product on the field, it was not a very pleasant two and five. It was a ugly two and five with so many self-inflicted mistakes. And it was fair to call out a lot of those mistakes, but give Matt LaFleur and this team credit. They didn't flinch. They kept battling. They kept fighting. And this is a team that was a major problem for the Cowboys, clearly. The 49ers, they, the Packers gave them everything and probably should have won that game. This was a team that you didn't want to face in the playoffs, and they got so ridiculously better through the course of the year. That's a great reminder that, yes, this is, in fact, a 17-game season, and not everything has to be concluded and finalized and made its final you know, declaration of what the team is going to be seven games through the season, regardless of how great or how terrible the team looked through seven games. Number eight, this is also a great reminder that, guess what? Players have different paths to success and the timelines don't always fit what we want them to be. We would love if Lucas Van Ness, taken 12th overall, came in and was immediately a stud. He wasn't. He's going to take time to develop. But guess what? You know, Carrington Valentine, well ahead of expectations for a seventh round rookie. Carl Brooks, well ahead of expectations. In fact, had a better season than LVN. Like these things develop at different times. And the player I really want to highlight here is Rashid Walker. Listen, uh, even before I get to Rashid, if there's any franchise that should know that sometimes it takes players time to develop, it should be the Packers and their fan base. Devontae Adams is the 1A example of this. Donald Driver, not exactly ready right away. Favre didn't exactly, you know, hit the ground running as a rookie, especially in, in you know, when he was a rookie in uh, Atlanta and, and the issues that he had. Aaron Rodgers took three years to develop. Like we can go on. Rashawn Gary is another great example. There are a lot of players through the course of the Packers franchise, especially in the Wolf, Thompson, and Goody eras that take some time to develop. And Rashid Walker is a great example of this. When he got in earlier in the season, like there was everyone not only was like the, you know, Rashid Walker can't play. It was like, cut that guy. He's terrible. He ends up going on to be one of the real bright spots of that entire Packer season. It just took him snaps to get out there and get acclimated to the speed of the game. Once he did, he was pretty freaking good. And I'm excited about Rashid moving forward. I think he's going to continue to get better, but it just is again, another stark reminder and another lesson learned of, Hey, these guys don't always just have it click immediately. Some guys take a little time for the game to slow down for him. I thought it would slow down for Rashid as the season went along. It slowed down for Jordan Love tremendously as the season went along. That timeline isn't always the same for everyone. And sometimes we need to have just a little bit more patience with players like a Rashid Walker and what he did this past year. Number nine, Green Bay has to learn that they need to be better at safety. And I'm, as of right now, exci- I don't know if excited is the right word, but I'm happy that 
Green Bay seems to know that, hey, we can't just bring back Rudy Ford, Jonathan Owens, Darnell Savage, Anthony Johnson Jr. and run this thing back and hope things are just going to get better. Now, a lot of offseason left, and I'm not saying that they can't resign one or two of those guys, but they have to be better overall, especially with this switch in defense to Jeff Halfley's single high safety. It's going to be of the utmost importance that that single high safety is better than anyone that was on the Packers roster at safety this past season. So that's going to take Goody finding that player either via free agency or via the draft, but they have to learn that they need to be better. Go back to the 49ers game. Darnell Savage one-on-one with Christian McCaffrey. Savage gets beats in the, beat in the open field, had a brutal, brutal game overall, and it really cost the Packers. They've got to be better at that spot, and it's really non-negotiable at this time, time frame. All right, number 10. No shock here. This is not only a commentary on the Packers, but really on the state of the NFL in general. Quarterback is still massively, massively important. And we saw this again. Patrick Mahomes just continues to tear through this league with Super Bowl appearance after Super Bowl appearance and obviously a lot of Super Bowl wins. But Jordan Love is a great example of this as well. Jordan did not start the season well, and that coincided with the Packers not starting the season well. Now, that was not all on Jordan. That was on his playmakers, his wide receivers, the lack of Aaron Jones. There's a lot of different things that went into that. But when Jordan Love was not playing well, this team really struggled. And when he took off and just started playing at a whole different level, this team took off and played at a whole different level. It will be paramount that Jordan Love continues to take the steps, continues to improve, continues to get better with his accuracy his deep ball accuracy, not throwing into coverage like that final play against San Francisco. He has steps that he needs to take. This is a league where you got a top five guy, you've got puncher's chance at Super Bowl every single season. You don't, it's going to be an upward climb. To me, Jordan has everything he needs to lead this team into the promised land. Now, what he needs alongside of him, like what talent uh, that, that he needs to be super successful, we'll see. But I think we saw with the talent they had last year with a ton of rookies, first-year players, he did fantastic. I think he is somebody that can lead this team that doesn't necessarily need the full plethora of San Francisco 49er weapons in order to be successful. I think he's a great quarterback, but it's going to be dependent upon him to continue that upward trajectory because if he is great, this team will be great. If he is bad, this team is going to be bad. We saw it play out, Giants game, he was bad, they lost. 49ers game, end of the year. He was bad. They lost. Beginning of the season, uh, Raiders game, Broncos game. He was bad. They lost. There's still a ton of pressure on that position. You need to be great. And it's going to be up to Jordan to take that next step and really lead this team to where they want to go and hopefully hoist another Lombardi trophy. Bonus lesson we learned. The Bears still suck. And I will end with that. Here's my recap of things we learned from the 2023 season. One, Got to improve the depth at running back. Number two, competition works. Number three, special teams still not good enough. Number four, don't always have to fix the problem with a veteran. Just find good players. Number five, unfortunately, we still can't trust David Bakhtiari's knee. Number six, Joe Barry's style of defense did not work. Thankfully, they went in another direction and fixed that. Number seven, it's a 17-game season. We shouldn't make any sweeping judgments through seven games. Number eight, Players find different pathways to success, and Rasheed Walker was such a great example of this this past year. Number nine, the Packers have to be better at safety. Number 10, QB play, still massively important, and we saw that with Jordan Love this past year. 
And bonus, the Bears still suck. Shout out to our Hall of Fame and All-Pro members, Most State and Minnesotan, PJ Wayne, John Wilde, Jay Bradad, Brandon Paletta, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Donald Lee, Lori Lord, Baby QB, David McCluskey, Donald Decker, and Flixen, Gasfeld, Elabar, Bremen. I will see you guys right back here tomorrow. Like, subscribe, comment, give those five-star reviews if you're listening on Apple or Spotify. I'll see you guys soon. Until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Thank you.